Well, I'm glad you all are here tonight to do a little bit of Bible study. As you know, Wes is out, and I get to fill for him tonight. We're going to get to go a little bit deeper and talk about leadership. I had some stuff we didn't get to. I'm assuming none of y'all did the homework last time I did it. So we're going to get to unpack that tonight and talk a little bit of wisdom and leadership. Let me, uh, before I get started with some prayer, you probably wonder where I'm wearing the shirt, Operation Christmas Child, if you haven't done your shoeboxes yet, this is the last week, and it's awesome. In fact, today we're a little shorthanded, and we had to load up the, the boxes up there into those trucks, and those boxes are heavy. I think some of them are putting hammers and gold bars in some of the shoeboxes. So uh, thank you, Sharon, for the, um, the ibuprofen and uh, Advil. I'll be doing better now. Uh, but they desperately need some help, especially on Monday from like 11 to 5. There's two different shifts you can sign up for. So if you've got a strong back and you're able to help out on Monday, they could really use some help on those days. And you can sign up through Realm or just contact the office. So that's my little shameless plug for OCC. Plus, I needed a new shirt because I sweated through the last one. So it worked out well. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are truly, truly good to us. We thank you for showing us what it means to be a true leader, what it looks like to show other people what it means to love you, to follow after something and someone that offers us purpose. You are worthy of our following. May we lead others in this example as well. Fill us with wisdom this morning, and may we look into the mirror of your word and not forget what we've seen. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Okay. Well, do a little quick review here. We've been talking about biblical leadership, what it looks like. We've, there's been several questions we've tackled as we've gone through this. You can see the questions we've looked at so far. Why does leadership matter? What does it mean to lead? And uh, how should I lead as a Christian? What kinds of leadership does the Bible portray? We looked at all these different examples and different models of the kinds of leadership we see in Scripture and the different characters we see there, what they exemplified for us. We looked at what lessons in leadership do we see in these biblical characters, which I kind of mentioned. Today, we'll look at what wisdom does Scripture give us for leading well. And then we'll spend a little bit of time at the end praying for those under our leadership and praying for those in leadership over us as well. Now, wisdom matters when it comes to making good choices, right? And why does leadership matter? To do a quick review here, leadership matters because we're either leading those we influence towards Christ or away from Him. You have the capacity and the opportunity to lead people towards Christ. It's binary in nature, but it's also, there's no fence sitting either. There's no neutral ground, there's no Switzerland. You are either leading someone in your life more towards Christ or away from them. In fact, it kind of reminds me of a quote that my English teacher would tell me every time in my senior year in high school. I went to a Christian school in Japan. And she said, you know, going to church is a dangerous thing because you either walk out of church a little more encouraged and challenged or a little bit more numb to the gospel. And that really stuck with me because really every choice we make needs to be intentional. Why am I going to church? How can I be of a, an influence for Christ to those in my circle that God has entrusted to me? 
And so what does it mean to lead leadership? As we look at the Bible, leadership is guiding others with the wisdom and love of Christ and whatever task and role that God has entrusted or called you to. So today we're going to look at the wisdom component of leadership. What's some wisdom we can glean from Scripture and how we can lead others well? Maybe you're a grandparent, leading your grandparents. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're over a ministry at church, whatever that looks like. You have the opportunity to lead well in various different capacities and styles. And so we're going to be diving into a lot of different Scripture today. And wisdom is very practical in nature. It gives us a very distinct direction to go with things. I remember my senior year in high school, for whatever crazy reason, the pastor of the church that kind of met on the campus entrusted me and my best friend, Cameron, to lead the middle school boys' Sunday school every Sunday. I don't know what he was thinking. But so we would do this. And half the time we wouldn't have a lesson. We'd be on the train ride to church in the morning. And I'd be like, hey, Cameron, what do you, what do you want to teach this morning? He's like, I don't know. I was like, well, what if we did this and did that? Yeah, we can do this discussion. We can do this activity. We'd like basically make it up on the train ride or the van ride to church, and you know, we would teach something. <laughs> they didn't give us any curriculum. That would have been nice. And, uh, and somehow, those lessons would almost always devolve into wrestling matches. Like, okay, and now things just devolve into wrestling matches. And somehow, it's always me on the floor. My friend Cameron would just be sitting in the chair like, yeah, you got this, you know? And uh, middle school boys. Didn't really add up a whole lot to me, but you know, we didn't really know what we're doing. We're pretty immature high school students just trying to fill our way through it. I started youth ministry in college, and my professor, my youth ministry professor, Huli Goddard, the raging Cajun, as I like to call himself, he said, you know, here's the deal with middle school boys. He would talk like this, McGinter, hey, how are you, brother? And he would just, hey, McGinter. He just liked saying my name a lot, apparently. He had like 20 different ways to pronounce it. But he, uh, he said, you know, I'm not going to do the accent anymore, don't worry. He, he said, you know, with middle school boys, sometimes they just need to know you can totally take them before they'll listen to you. Like, oh, that kind of makes sense now. They need to know that you could just, if it was a wrestling match, like, man, it's going down and you are not going to win before they realize it really give you respect and attention. Like, okay, that's some wisdom in ministry and how to lead a particular group, right? And so we're going to look at some wisdom today by cracking open Scripture and diving deep. Go ahead and open up your Bible to Psalms chapter 78. Psalms, Psalms, Psalms chapter 78, verse 72. And you'll see there there's also a good cross-reference cross in 1 Kings 9-4, which is God's response to Solomon and uh, that encounter there, which is worth taking a look at. Psalm 78, verse 72. And these are the list of scriptures we're going to look at. You can see them in your notes. If you don't have a copy of the notes, there's a big pile of them back there. You can grab one if you need be. Psalm 78, 72 says this. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hands. And this is short. This is describing King David. It's given a whole litany of this history of Israel and how God was faithful through all these various different steps and milestones in their life. And it talks about King David and his role. He shepherded them with a pure heart and he guided them with his skillful hands. Doing the right thing is never easy. And when you're leading, it's going to be very, very challenging. And so doing the right thing when the cost is high and emotions run high is hard. That's integrity. When you're frustrated or you're tired or whatever it's going to be and you know the right thing to do, but you just don't feel like doing it, you, or it's very tempting to do the wrong thing, integrity, doing the right thing, even when it's hard, 
even when no one's looking. Good leaders lead with integrity. And they model what it means to trust God for what's right. Do you trust Him? It's easy to lean on our own understanding, right? But to trust Him to do what's right when it's difficult. Think about how you conduct your business, how you model this for your grandkids or your kids, what it means to have integrity when no one else is there or no one else is watching. How do you model dealing with disappointment or frustration? These are things that show a bit of this character quality. All right, let's look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Proverbs 11, verse 14. And there's several passages in Proverbs that sort of speak to this. You can see those other references, 15, 22, 20, 18, 24, verse 6. So Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says this. Without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counselors, there's deliverance. We need to hear from other people. It's easy to make decisions in a vacuum. It's easy, it's easy to assume, I know the right thing to do, I just need to do it. Sometimes it's good to get multiple, multiple perspectives on things. And, um, you know, it teaches us to lead with listening. Lead by being a good listener. And I'll be straight with you, I'm a better talker than I'm a listener. I just am. I have to learn to be a good listener. I have to not think in my head, what's the next thing I want to say as someone else is talking to me. I have to be intentional about these things. Sometimes my mind's going a mile a minute, and i got to just slow it down and just really be present with somebody. Lead with listening. Be the advice receiver more than the advice giver. This is hard to do. Some of us just love to give advice, don't we? I'm right there with you. I love to give advice. It feels good. Someone needs me, wants to know what to do. It's like, here's what you got to do. Go do it. You know, someone seeks us out for wisdom, and that could be a good thing, right? Well, some of the things that we need to more model is help someone else get to their own conclusions, right? Then they own it for themselves. How can I ask really difficult and challenging questions so they arrive at a good place for themselves? Sometimes we do have to give advice, but it's important to listen. Lead through listening. The advice receiver more than the advice giver. And, and maybe I'm stereotyping here, but especially guys, we love explaining things. Like just ask us to explain something. We'll just go off. You know? We'll just explain something. We love to explain things. I think most of the podcasts are born out of this, right? Just guys who like to explain things, right? Like, how did you learn how to throw that football so well? Well, let me tell you, I did this and this, and I trained this and watched this video. Like, we'll just go off on stuff, right? We love to explain things. Let's be first to listen. And I remember, I don't remember how many years ago this was, but I remember we had some staff meetings, talking through some stuff, trying to figure some things out. And this is when Steve was here. And after the meeting, Steve could tell I was a little frustrated. I, mean, I think there was some idea that I was proposing that we decided not to go with that or went with something different or whatever it was. He said, make it to let's talk. I said, listen, you don't always have to have the best idea in the room. A good leader doesn't always have to have the best idea in the room. A good leader does need to be able to recognize the best idea, whether it's yours or not. And that really stuck with me because it's easy to let kind of pride kind of seep in, like, oh, it's, let's go with my idea. Let's do this and be the advice giver, but to really truly listen and let someone else's idea sink in deep and being able to recognize the best idea, whether it's yours or not, requires good listening. All right, let's move on to Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. 
Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. And this is, to give you a little bit of context here, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, their mother approaches Jesus and basically requests, hey, when your kingdom comes, may my son sit your left and right in your kingdom. And Jesus is like, I don't think you know what you're asking. I, I just, you know, the Messiah had certain assumptions and a kingdom seemed very literal, very natural. And so to sit in the right and left seemed, okay, they're sacrificing a lot. They're following you. And sure. But Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can they drink the cup I'm about to drink? I'm about to drink a whole cup worth of suffering. And, and then he approaches them with a couple things here. And we look at verse 26, it says this. Actually, I'm going to read from verse 25 too. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, their power and prestige. Those in high positions act as tyrants over them. Verse 26, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here, Jesus lays out a very different kind of leader that they were used to. A servant leader. Lead with service. Lead with doing and being willing to lay down your life like your Savior laid down his life for you. Christ laid down everything for us. And it's hard to have that attitude at some points. There's a, this, this gentleman is not a believer, but he's, got, he's very famous for doing leadership seminars for CEOs and big companies. Simon Sinek, he's kind of become a, a big leadership guru and for millennials and whatnot. He's made some pretty interesting observations too, which I think is pretty cool. He said this, leadership is not about being in charge, but looking after those in our charge. Leadership is not about being in charge, but looking after those in our charge. And I think Christ modeled that for us especially well. Let's continue looking at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 42 through 48. And this is a parable that Jesus gives. And it's important we have a little bit of context on this, and I'll get to that here in a second. 42, the Lord said, Who then is a faithful and sensible manager? His master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant who the master finds doing his job when he comes. Hey, this person was busy getting things done. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and starts to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. All right. When the, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? That servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. 
And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself to, or to do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what, was, what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Now Jesus here is laying out a bit of a contrast between the Jews and the Gentiles to some extent. The Jewish people had everything. They had the law. They had a history with God. They had a relationship with God. And so Jesus is really directing a lot of his attention to the Pharisees and the people of the time. You have everything. You know God's story. You know God's law. There's going to be a lot expected of you. There's a lot. It's one thing for people who have no idea who God is to keep acting like there's no God. It's another thing if you know who God is and you choose to do the wrong thing anyway. You choose to do something opposite of him and not to be a good steward of what he has given. But this principle applies in a broader sense as well. Many of us have maybe grown up in the church. God has a lot of history with us. Or we've been given much. Or the skills that we have. Too much has been given. Much is required. And there bears a lot of weight with this. But ultimately what we have, whether it be our resources, our skills, our history with God, they're not ours. They're given to us for a reason. And so we need to lead with stewardship, putting our gifts and resources to work. Not later, not tomorrow, now. There's a tendency to want to procrastinate. You know, the old saying, <laughs> why do today what I can procrastinate for tomorrow? Right? There are some things we just don't want to do. Like mow the lawn. Right? But uh, God has called us to be faithful now. And he sees that. And he rewards that and recognizes that. I don't know about you, but whenever my day comes or Jesus returns, there's a phrase I really want to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I can't tell you how much I want to hear that. I get chills just saying it. I don't know about you. My imagination goes wild with that. And for those of us who love Jesus, we can't think of anything better than being in his presence and to hear those words. And I find that encouraging. To lead with stewardship, put your gifts and resources to work. How can you use that in church? How can you use that at home? Let's continue reading first chapter John. Chapter John. It's been a long day. Chapter John, brother John. Brother McGee, yeah, here we go. John chapter 13, 12 through 17. John chapter 13, verse 12 through 13. Okay, here we go. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if, you, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. 
Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Now we know how the foot-washing Baptists began, right? There's, there are some, and you probably know this, there are some that actually believe that washing each other's feet is like an actual church ordinance, like doing the Lord's Supper and baptism. Like it's the third ordinance because it's toward the end of Jesus' story. And he says, I've set an example for you to do as well. I've been to a wedding where the groom washed the bride's feet. And it was a pretty cool image, a, a bit gross, but you know, you're about to get married, you know, it's what it is. Um, but it was a really interesting image of this humility that's there to wash someone else's feet. It's gross. I know the youth did it on a mission trip in Guatemala, I believe, too. They washed those people's feet as they gave them the shoes y'all donated. I can't think of a much more humble thing to do. But Jesus set that example for us. Lead with humility. Wash the pride from your heart for pure service. There's all kinds of reasons why we can do service. I mean, Pastor West's sermon this past Sunday laid out a lot of different things, how we sometimes just twist even good things. Worship, we make it about ourselves. Sometimes we make serving about ourselves. Sometimes we make attending and doing good things at church about us, or we have prideful reasons for wanting to do it, or this is my ministry, this is my thing, and this is my gift and how I want to do it, and we get kind of tied up into this. But if we're humble, we take a step back, say, God, I need your spirit to wash the pride I know that can easily creep into my heart. I'm such an idol factory. I can take good things and transform them into idols. The human heart is, is an interesting, interesting place. And so let's lead through humility. All right, let's look at our next passage in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And to give you a little bit of context before we read this passage, this is the Apostle Paul giving his final farewell words to the elders of, um, of, of Ephesia, the Ephesian elders. This is the last time he's going to see them. This is a very difficult goodbye because after this he heads to Jerusalem and after that, well, he gets arrested goes towards Rome, but gets shipwrecked, and eventually he loses his life. So this is a difficult goodbye. This is the last time they're going to see him. And so he has these parting words to the elders of Ephesia, giving them some instructions to the leaders there of that church. And he says this in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, this is the Apostle Paul essentially addressing the pastors of that church and reminding them how important it is to consider the flock that God has entrusted to them, to lead with mindfulness. Be mindful of who's died for you. Be mindful of why you're doing this. Be mindful of the people that God has entrusted to you. Be intentional. Focus your attention at the cross to your flock. See them 
as God sees them. See them as Jesus sees them, as his bride, precious. Now, the Apostle Paul's directly addressing the pastors and leaders, overseers, same Greek word as sometimes translated as pastor. Uh, I believe here it's poimen, and I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. But it has broader implications as well. Ask yourself, what's your flock? Who's your flock? Who has God entrusted to you? Who do you have the opportunity to minister to in your life? Your kids, grandkids, maybe coworkers that you're charged with leading at work, employees, maybe if you own a company. Maybe it's a, a group that you're overseeing at a school or whatever it might be. Maybe you're the oldest in your family and your siblings are, really look up to you and you have ability to minister to them. Who is your flock? Lead with mindfulness, aware of that. You know, I have a lot of post-it notes on my laptop screens or my monitor screens on my desk. Various different ideas I've written that I may not get to it today, but maybe one day this ideal I'll, I'll pursue or, hey, I don't want to forget about this, put this up here, or people who've been interested in coming to a new members class, I'll write them up there so I'm constantly looking at them and praying for them. And I have one post-it note that I did not write. It's on my monitor. And it says this, I love daddy, you are the best. And I guess one of my kids, I can't remember who, honestly, I think it was Lively, wrote on one of my post-it notes and put it up there when I was walked out of the office for a little bit. I keep it there because it reminds me who my flock is. It reminds me, I can be busy doing all kinds of church things, all kinds of things that I love getting to do here, but the people that God has entrusted to me of utmost importance is my family. I did not lose sight of that. So who is your flock? Lead with mindfulness. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Romans chapter 12. Verse 3 through 12, 8. And this is a passage you're probably pretty familiar with. It's a good reminder for all of us. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than you should think. Kind of comes back to the humility we talked about earlier. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. Now, when we talk about church membership, this is a key passage that helps us understand that. We don't like, the word membership kind of feels like a club or like a country club or like I'm you know, part of, I have a season pass of this or, you know, I got a SIP club membership at Panera Bread. Like I pay something and I expect something in return. Membership, the word member is very biblical. You're a member, you belong to a body and you serve a purpose, you're not owed anything. Your job and role is to be the heart, to be the eye, to be the foot, to do something that God has called you to do, and we all have a role to play in this. We're all different members of the same body. So in the same way, we are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. 
If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortion. In giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. It seems redundant to say, if you have a gift of teaching, use it for teaching. It seems redundant to say, if service, use it for service. But the Apostle Paul's point is, if you have that gift, use it. Don't ignore it. I have the gift of teaching. You know what? I really, really want to lead worship. That's what I'm going to do. I know I have the gift of teaching, but I really want to use this gift of teaching to lead worship through song. No. Right? Yes, I did six years in choir, so I, you know, maybe. But no, that's the other Daniel's job. <laughs> you know? Different gifts. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And the Apostle Paul commissions and reminds us of this. And so lead with unity. Lead with unity. When you consider the gifts and, that God has given you, use it considering how we all work together. Be content with your gift and empower others in theirs. I'm going to totally steal an analogy. We were kind of talking about this some actually with our young adults. And Mark Vigil, he's actually a high school band director. And he used this analogy. He said, you know, it's kind of like a band. You have all these different instruments. And if you've got an instrument that's out of tune, you notice it. If you've got someone who plays a flute but really wants to play the French one, but you know they're not really good at it. It's not their thing. It's not going to go well. If everyone just kind of doesn't follow the sheet music, like, you know, it's time for, you got it, a piccolo solo. Right in the middle of this quiet part of the song, I'm just going to jam out my piccolo. Not going to go well. It's going to be distracting. All of us playing our different instruments together according to the sheet music, right? Listening to the conductor the mind and the head of Christ. We all have a role to play. And when we play together, oh, it's such beautiful music. It's a wonderful thing. And I can't tell you, i got to think God smiles when he sees all of our differences all working together in concert. It's got to be a wonderful thing. It's a small picture of heaven, right? And so remember this. Be content with your gift and empower others with this. You will cause disunity if you are discontent. Consider that. You will cause disunity if you're discontent with how God has made you and how God has equipped you to serve his body. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. It has so many verses they had to put a bunch of makeshift post-it note tabs in my Bible. So I can flip there quicker. I gotta beat you there. All right, Philippians chapter two, verse three through four. Here we go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out for not only for their own interests, but also for the interests of others. Putting others before ourselves lead with selflessness. Lead with selflessness. Open your eyes to the needs of those in your care. It's easy to get busy. It's easy to kind of not be aware of what other people need or how they're feeling about you, what they might need from you. I totally get that. In fact, I'm awful at it because I'm, I'm just, I'm moving, man. I'm, 
I'm getting going. I'm, you know, getting stuff done, checking things off my list. It's the idea of, okay, set aside, getting stuff done, and actually be present with somebody. It's hard for me to do. You know, and stuff happens sometimes. And we have to really consider other people in front of us and see them as Christ sees them, be mindful of the emotions. I think not just being mindful of other people and how they're feeling about things, but also be mindful of ourselves. Am I frustrated? Am I angry? Am I discontent? Am I really, really hungry? (laughs) It's easy to get selfish when our emotions are not like in a super great place. So in being aware of ourselves, being mindful of our own emotions, they can trigger selfishness. For me, it's getting tired. When I get tired, I get selfish. It's hard for me to think about the needs of others when I feel so drained myself. I mean, I think that's true of all of us to some extent. It's one of the things I admire a lot about Brooke is that she could be doggone tired and she could still be really good at putting the kids first. You know, and it's, I've seen her be incredibly selfless and give towards her siblings in ways that I can't even imagine and still be able to give to her kids the next day. Being selfless requires us to be mindful of other people's feelings and also our own and be aware of that. You know, I'll be honest, some of the biggest dad fails and biggest pastor fails is when I'm, I'm tired and when I'm not being aware of other people. I'm being selfish. It's easy to allow that happen, easier than we care to admit sometimes. All right, last verse. Let's go to James. James chapter 3, verse 1. If you ever need some conviction, you know, James is just easy to go to. Like, you know what? I just really need some conviction today. I was feeling great about myself, so I'm going to read the book of James, and you know what? Then I'll be back in even keel. So, book of James is always good for that. All right. James chapter 3, verse 1. Again, the context here is about controlling the tongue. Some broader implications here as well. But consider that context. So look at this. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. And further on, he talks about yeah, the tongue is the hardest thing to control. And sometimes when you talk for a living, sometimes you say some things you wish you could put back in. You know? And we talk a lot during the day. How are we leading with our tongue, with our words? And the fact remains, we need accountability. Lead through accountability. Lead with accountability. Okay, good, sir. Weigh your sinful nature with your responsibility. We may, it's easy, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, to assume, I could never do that. It is beyond me to ever do it. And hopefully that is true. Anyone here read the Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Flies? Yeah? The whole premise of the book was, here's some proper British boys. And they've been raised right, the right families. And all of a sudden, all these proper British boys are all stranded on an island, and there's no rules, no constraints. 
nothing, pure survival. And by the end of the book, they've all devolved into just complete savages doing horrific things. And when the British people come to rescue them and they kind of find these proper British boys and what's happened to them, they're just horrified. And the point is, man is wicked. No matter how you're raised, what kind of societal background you have, evil's going to do what evil's going to do. And to assume that we're, if we're not pushed the right way, to assume that not in the right circumstances, I could never do that. It's a dangerous attitude to have. We have to be held accountable. We know all too well pastors and other churches made famous or ones that we know of that failed miserably because they did not have accountability. Because they did not place constraints in life. And they did not weigh out the responsibility with their own propensity for sin. We need iron to sharpen our iron. Never assume you're above any kind of sin. It keeps, keeps us sharp, keeps us frosty, keeps us constantly aware of the weight of what God has entrusted to us as leaders and people are able to make a difference. Because remember, when leaders fail, everyone else fails under them too. And it seems harsh. And maybe we're like, okay, yeah, but those people are still responsible to do the right thing. But when leaders fail, everyone else under them is failed. Is maybe a better way to put it. People fall when leaders fall. It causes immense destruction. And so if you are to lead, consider the weight. When you consider the weight, you'll probably want to have some kind of accountability in your life to challenge you, to encourage you, to motivate you to hold up the mirror of God's Word to you on a regular basis. Well, on that rosy and delightful note, we're going to spend some time in prayer. First, we're going to pray for those in leadership. I'm going to give you some time to do that. You'll see in your notes some blanks. Take a minute to write some names down. In that first section, who can I pray for in leadership? The first one Think of a local public servant. We have many people that serve on our city council, education board, here or in Round Rock. They don't make a dime. They faithfully serve our, our community. Maybe someone in the fire department, police department, or a local teacher. Who can you pray for in leadership that's local, that's in our city? Then think of a local church leader you'd like to pray for too. Maybe it's Pastor Wes. Maybe it's another church you know that's struggling. Maybe it's a, I don't know, it's some kind of bigger organization. We could pray for someone in the, the SBTC right now or the SBC. Not very local, but Texas is kind of local. And on the third one, write down a lay leader at our church that you'd like to pray for. Maybe it's one of our deacons or a Sunday school leader or someone who's head over one of our ministries here. We have a lot of different ministries, a lot of different people. They don't ever get paid. And sacrifice time, much time to serve. Is there someone here at our church you want to pray for and lift up? Write their name down. Oh, my house alarm's going off. Hopefully they're okay. Kids like to set it off sometimes. Um, maybe we should pray for them. <laughs> so I'm going to give you about 
one more minute to write down some names. And then at your table, spend time praying. You don't have to use their names. Pray for them. And uh, I'll close that out in about two or three minutes. So take the next, let's say at 6.50-ish, I will close out in prayer. And then we'll move on to the next section of who can pray under my leadership. All right. Your time begins now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the leaders you have placed in our life. They are a blessing. Many of us would not be where we are in our faith today if it wasn't for the faithful ones who shepherded us and guided us in our own life. So God, we give you thanks and express gratitude for placing good leaders in our life. We want to lift up those Need some encouragement to do the right thing. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. With our remaining time, I want us to focus in on how, who can I pray for under my leadership? Who can I pray for that's under my leadership? Remember, part of this whole considering leadership thing and discipleship, we want to pour into another person's life so they will in turn pour into another's. Jesus poured into his disciples with the intention that they would then pour into those entrusted to them and their leadership, and they did. And that's how the church grew. So consider who you want to pour into. And there's two areas. You can think of more. Is there someone in your family you want to specifically lift up? specifically really give to God. And it doesn't have to be one. Just here to just kind of get our brains going. Then think about someone in your church family that you have some influence over. You know you're making a difference in them. Or maybe someone you don't have an influence over, but you would like to. You'd like to maybe engage in a disciple-making relationship with somebody else. You'd like to mentor somebody else. You'd like to invest in another generation of believers and pass on what was given to you. So you're not supposed to be reservoirs of God's grace for men to be channels. God's grace needs to flow through us, and he does that by us pouring out the goodness that he's given us to others in our life. So 
Think of one person in your family you'd like to pray for, and then one person in your church family you'd like to pray for that's under your leadership or someone you'd like to be under your leadership. So take a few minutes to write that down or maybe discuss it, and then we'll start praying here. As soon as your table feels ready to start praying, why don't you pray? And I'll close this out a few minutes before 7, uh, 6.58. I'll close this out. So take a few minutes to write down some names, discuss at your table, or start praying as soon as you guys feel led. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach you as our Father, one who wants to give us good things, who loves us dearly, and considers our well-being. Lord, we lift up our family to you. Sometimes family are the hardest people to share difficult things with. Sometimes our family are the hardest people to share the gospel with. God, give us boldness, give us tenderness, and opportunities that can only be from you. So God, we want to place them in your hands, open our eyes to those opportunities to minister to them, to lead them well, as you've led us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that concludes our time tonight. You will notice on the bottom of your notes, there is some homework, extra credit, if you will. There was an article I thought was really good uh, from Whitcliffe, the people that do all the missionary stuff and Bible translations and whatnot. A great article about servant leadership. So if you want to continue reading and going deeper on this, I highly recommend it. It's a great article and it's a good, encouraging read. So be sure to check that out. Next Wednesday, I don't believe we have Bible study. I'm pretty sure. So... Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your time with your family. And I'll see you this Sunday. It is OCC Sunday. Exciting. We've got a lot of shoeboxes coming in. I'm pretty sure we're actually going to meet our goal, which is a big deal. A lot of shoeboxes. So, well done. You all have a good night. I'm going to turn my mic in. <laughs>